This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. And so for many of us, this time of year, this Christmas season, it is a time of joy and celebrating and feasting and fun. There are so many reminders that we have much to celebrate as Christians. Christmas carols tell the story of a silent night, a time angels were rejoicing, and a moment where a beautiful baby was born in the town of Bethlehem. Gifts under the tree remind us of the greatest gift we have been given, a Savior coming to rescue his people. The lights wrapped around all the trees and around our homes point to the reality there is a light that shines in the darkness. And the Christmas tree, the only green thing in the dead of winter, at least in Nebraska, it reminds us of hope and new life. Now the food we eat, well, it depends on what kind of food. If you eat fruitcake, which is not a food any of us should eat, Fruitcake, cheesecake, coffee cake, they don't really remind us of anything. If it's a candy cane, that shape reminds us of the staff that was carried by shepherds. Or, or if we flip it upside down, the J reminds us of Jesus. The white and red colors, they remind us of the purity of Christ and the blood he shed for us. The name Christmas even, it means Joy, glad tidings of great joy. So many reminders that we have much to celebrate as Christians. But we also know Christmas isn't the end of the story. There is more to come. The work of Christ to be culminated and completed. Which is why the church not only celebrates Christmas. We observe the season of Advent. See, sometimes the Christmas season, it can seem shallow and disorienting. We don't feel like celebrating. We're around a people 
who are far too happy. When they say, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, when we don't feel so merry or we don't feel so happy, we don't know how to respond. And that's because the, the present moment, not the presence under the tree, it has a lot of power in our lives. Or maybe it's better to say the wrong kind of power in our lives. But part of the reason for all the decorations, despite all the evil around us, part of the reason we feast with family and friends, it's more about Advent, an arrival we are looking forward to. Those of you familiar with Advent, you know it is not only a time to look back at the first coming of Christ, it is also a time to look forward to his second coming. There is so much to celebrate with his second There was so much to celebrate with his first coming, and there will be an even greater celebration with his second coming. And so that means there are some things we experience today that are still broken. We are in a period of waiting. In many ways, this is the life of a Christian. We look back to when we placed our faith in Christ or when we professed faith in Christ, we experienced joy and peace and forgiveness. But as we have considered the past two weeks, today we live in a time there continues to be discontent. While you are forgiven, you still sin. While you experience personal peace, your posture of faith can cause hostility with family and friends and coworkers. You're waiting for Christ to return to finish what was started. Being a Christian is being in a period of waiting. So waiting is the theme of our sermon series this Advent. We're highlighting what it means to be a people who wait and some of the topics or themes that we are waiting for. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris introduced us to the principle or the school of waiting. Last week, we talked about waiting for sin to end, which is less the sins of others and more the ongoing struggle we experience personally. This week, we're talking about waiting for evil to end. How we relate to sin and the evil actions encountered around us. So the title of the sermon this morning is Waiting for Evil to End. Far too many days, we encounter stories reminding us the world is filled with evil. There's a leader in Russia leading his armies to brutally attack the people of Ukraine. There are stories of individuals and organizations profiting off the abuse of children and the sexual exploitation of vulnerable individuals. News of terrorist attacks, government corruption, manipulation of currencies, so much evil in the world. Now it is one thing as we reflect on evil in a more general sense to consider how it targets others. It is quite another to consider how the actions of evil when they are aimed at us, what that means, derogatory remarks directed our way because of our values and beliefs or because of our gender or the color of our skin or our cultural background or when the source of evil is a beloved family member 
who caused harm with their words or even with their hands. Encountering evil has the potential to undermine many of the themes commonly associated with Advent. Hope, joy, peace. The evil we are confronted with can have far too much power. Understanding what we are waiting for, the promised life to come when our Savior returns, will undermine such power and produce a sense of peace and joy in the present. So our big idea this morning is the power of evil is no match for the power of promise. If you have a Bible or Bible app, open it up to the passage read earlier, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. We're going to work through that passage as we explore this big idea and reflect on four things. First, the pull. Ways evil tends to have power in our lives. Two, the principle. So a principle that Psalm 37 expresses that undermines the power of evil. Three, the practical, tangible ways we live when confronted with evil. And four, the promise. There's a picture of the future we are promised that provides perspective today for how God's people live when confronted with evil. So let's begin with the pull. The the psalmist says... Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. You can see that language, do not be agitated. It's used in verse 1. It's repeated in verse 7. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way. And it's repeated again in verse 8. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Now you might think it means don't be agitated like being angry. But in this case, that's not quite it. The the English Standard Version, which sometimes better captures the meaning of particular words, it says, do not fret. The the word these versions are translating in Hebrew is hara. Okay, some of you who are Hebrew scholars will probably correct me later. But it's hara. Hara which literally means to ignite, to burn, to to blaze up. It's not an act of rage. That's something else. This is more a gnawing preoccupation. Hara. It it kind of sounds like what it means. I feel agitated simply saying it. Hara. Fretting. When we encounter something evil, we can be pulled to be agitated. To fret. It has the potential to preoccupy us, to eat away at you, to, to undermine the presence of, of peace and joy in your life. The pull is to draw you to become distracted, giving evil actions far too much power in your life. Some of you understand this all too well. You've encountered evil from leaders within an institution your employer, or leaders within a church. Someone in a position of power, taking advantage of your kindness and your vulnerability. Someone speaking poorly of you, rather than encourage, they expressed words to hurt and harm. And not simply with what they said, but how they said it. 
Maybe you encountered evil in a relationship. Someone, someone you trusted said things that weren't true of you. They turned away and abandoned you. And maybe you, you encountered evil within your family. A father who lied and manipulated and took advantage of loved ones. A mother who rather than come to you complains about you to her friends or her family, your family. Some of you have occupations, serving in law enforcement, serving in the military. You come across acts of evil many of us cannot fathom. Whatever it is, there is a pull when we encounter evil for those actions to lead us to fret, to preoccupy us, to incite us, undermining peace and joy in our life. In her book, What is a Girl Worth?, author and lawyer Rachel Denhollander provides a variety of perspectives on how she experienced acts of evil undermining peace and joy in her life. If you're unfamiliar with Den Hollander, she was a key voice a number of years ago exposing years of sexual abuse committed within the U.S. gymnastics program by a medical doctor named Larry Nasser. Den Hollander was abused as a young child by Nasser. And consequently, she struggled with the aftermath. So at one point to, to process, someone she loved encouraged her to, to see a counselor or to journal. I hated that idea, simply because it would mean admitting that the abuse had happened and that I wasn't fine. I was clinging desperately to the charade of a girl who had it together. That kind of girl was strong. That kind of girl wasn't vulnerable. That kind of girl couldn't be hurt by someone. Our response to evildoers, it can take many forms. Sometimes it plays out more strongly. Like verse 8, it says, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Sometimes evil actions we encounter can lead to sinful fits of wrath. But it is often far more subtle. It becomes a preoccupation that forms how we relate to others and how we relate to God. What Denhollander describes is how it led her to being dishonest. She could not acknowledge her pain. She could not acknowledge that she had been hurt. It formed her into someone who put up walls to prevent herself from experiencing further harm. In retrospect, she, recognizes, she recognized that strategy. It produced further damage, withdrawal, isolation, self-protection. The psalmist recognizes such a potential pitfall when we are preoccupied, when we fret over the evil we encounter. When, when the psalmist says, do not be agitated by evildoers. It can only bring harm. Don't let those individuals and those moments have so much power. The evil you encountered, don't let it rob you of precious time or define your overall emotions. So what principle, what type of principle pushes against something so powerful? 
Let's look at verses 1 and 2 to understand what the psalmist is getting at. What, what principle the, the psalmist is laying out. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. So, so the principle the, the psalmist is describing, the way things look today, the way we experience evil around us, it will not always be that way. There is a day things will be different. Scripture provides all sorts of rationale to help us let go of some of the fretting or envy we might have towards people who commit evil actions. Psalm 6, it helps us understand that God hears us when we cry out to him in the midst of evildoers. Psalm 36 helps us see the foolishness of wicked actions, how ultimately they are shallow and centered on self. In Psalm 37, the, the psalmist is laying out a principle. There is a day in the future that will, not, that will not look like today. Things will be different. Grass that withers. Tender green plants that wilt. These are things that are essentially worthless. They sprout up for a season but in the end, they do not stand. They have no depth. They have little to no root. They do not survive. Their evil actions will be exposed. And even if they appear to prosper today, they will not prosper in the end. Believing this principle, resting in this principle, understanding this perspective of the future it provides power and peace and joy in the present to not be agitated and to not envy those who do wrong. The power of evil is no match for the power of promise. So the principle that is not at work here is stuffing feelings of what has been done to you. What produces power and peace in the present is not saying what happened to you was no big deal. Or that you being frustrated, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. 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 <laughs> Growing up, whenever something bad would happen to me, one of the things I was told is, life's not fair. Which there is some truth to. But as a slogan for life, it meant, Paul, stop whining and complaining when people make fun of you. Stop making a big deal when you are ridiculed. What does not produce power and peace and joy is denying that evil hurts. No big deal is a statement of denial. It is not a statement rooted in biblical reality, nor is it a statement that leads to hope and healing. Den Hollander wanted to deny evil that it had any power whatsoever, and it was destroying her. Evil actions matter so much. There will be a wiltering, wiltering and a wil, there will be a withering and a wilting by those who committed them, should they continue in their wicked ways. So this principle of wilting and withering, that evil actions will not lead to prospering in the future, it is good news. It affirms evil actions committed against us, they should bother us. 
But they should not be so powerful to define us or to preoccupy us. The, the principle provides rationale for why you can surrender your preoccupation. How you fret and are incited to blaze up. Why you do not need to be envious. The ongoing stirring in your heart and your head. You can let it go. You, you do not have to stew over getting even or proving yourself because you can trust evil will experience its consequences. Your God will act. Here's verses five and six. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Your God will bring about justice. That's part of the promise. The way things look today, the way we experience evil around us, it will not always be that way. There is more to come. Your God will vindicate. So the pull to be agitated, to fret, those feelings eating away at you, you can let them go. You can experience Peace and power in the presence. The power of evil is no match for the God who will act. So do not stuff your disappointment with evil. Do not minimize it. Know it matters, but also know the power of evil. It is no match for the power of promise. There is a day in the future that will not look, look like today. So how do we live this out on a practical level? Here's verses three through four. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And verse five again, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. So the, the circumstances surrounding the writing of Psalm 37 are not all that clear. Um, it's referred to as a wisdom psalm which means it sounds more like something found in Proverbs or the, the book of Ecclesiastes. It is less like many of the other psalms expressing emotions of sadness and sorrow or excitement and exaltation. Someone is giving or sharing wisdom to, to another through a song. You know, think about me if I were to, to impass some wisdom. It's not so bad if you're bald. People might see some bumps on your head, but they will love you in your weakness, right? So it's, it's a song that, it's like our, our kids, back in First City Kids or First City Youth, they learn songs that teach them theological principles. This is a psalm that isn't so much learning um, systematic theology, but practical theology. In this case, Psalm 37 it, it, it's attributed to, to King David. And it's thought that in his later years, he is passing wisdom on how to live. He is providing thoughts on how to respond when God's people encounter the brokenness of the world, when we are confronted with evil actions committed against us. When you look at those verses, how does what David says here hit you? As I meditated on this psalm, what struck me is it really is not all that remarkable. It's, it's not very impressive. The practical wisdom seems very ordinary. David, David doesn't say, go get even. 
Stand up for yourself and make sure others know how you were hurt. He's not providing encouragement for you to be bitter or angry or resentful. Instead, he says, trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Do what is good. Dwell in the land. Live securely. This is not language escalating tension within your heart and your head or with a a dangerous enemy. This is language associated with everyday discipline, everyday presence, faithful fortitude. It is not extraordinary. David continues this emphasis in verse 7. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Be silent. Silence seems so boring, so unsettling. Living among a people who who do what I want to do when I want to do it, expecting immediate results. We are formed to oppose waiting and being silent before the Lord. Silence seems like an enemy we need to be rescued from. And yet, God invites us to be silent and wait. Silence is not the enemy. Evil is. As we wait, we are to adopt a practical, everyday disposition of silence. When we experience evil, when we encounter it in in its various forms, we often feel a loss of self-control. We tend to trust in things other than the Lord. We, We feel like we need to bring justice. We perseverate over that. If our reputation has been damaged, we feel like we need to control how it is restored. When others slander and gossip about us, silence is not easy. Oh, I'm going to get her. Oh, she's not going to get away with that. Men often respond in more foolish and violent ways. Have you been there? Are you there today? Practicing something so ordinary shouldn't surprise, especially as we reflect on the first coming of Christ this time of year. That appearing reminds us that God came to us in an ordinary way. He was not born in a palace. He was born in a manger. His earthly parents, they were not celebrities. They were commoners. He did not live like one of the Kardashians. He was a carpenter. His first first visitors were not persons of stature, but they were instead lowly shepherds. He did not grow up as royalty, but he was a refugee. He lived in the town of Nazareth, a place not filled with somebodies, but nobodies. In so many ways, the way Jesus came to defeat the power of evil, it was ordinary, not extraordinary. Should we be surprised the way we are counseled to live as we respond to evil is much the same. Practice the ordinary, not extraordinary. Turn our attention away from the evil we have experienced and turn towards the Lord. Practicing the ordinary, it helps us remember the power of evil is no match for the power of promise. It helps us focus on what is most significant. In her book, Den Hollander shares how this process played out for her. 
She eventually listened to loved ones, and she got away for some silence to journal. She poured out her pain. She was honest about how evil caused her to experience hurt and harm, and she prayed. And she trusted. Trusting wasn't easy. In fact, it was kind of messy. But as she did, she remembered what was most important. I had to remind myself of the truth of who I was and the reality that success wasn't defined by a result, but by faithfulness. I had to remember that my identity and healing weren't dependent on the voices that surrounded me and, and that the truth wasn't dependent on popular opinion or cultural responses. I had to focus on what was real and true. Den, Den Hollander was learning and reminding herself of something critical. The power of evil is no match for the power of, uh, of promise when we embrace the ordinary rather than the extraordinary. Success didn't depend on a result, but was rooted in faithfulness. The voices of popular opinion proving herself, that's not what mattered. Committing her way to the Lord, trusting in Him, that's what she needed to focus on. I know some of us think when we are confronted with evil, the definition for success it is accomplishing something extraordinary. The psalmist says, do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, be present, delight yourself in the Lord, commit yourself to the Lord, commit your way to the Lord. Success isn't rooted in achieving justice or being part of the best political causes. It doesn't in include meeting a desire to put someone behind bars or winning an argument you, where you made your point or being vindicated in the eyes of others. When we are confronted with evil, we live humbly. Rather than extraordinary, it's very normal. We trust in the Lord and we read our Bibles. We commit to the Lord and we pray. We dwell in the land and we gather with God's people. We turn to Jesus and we wait. Very ordinary activities that have the power to free us from fret. To free us from being agitated rooting ourselves in the presence and principles of how God's works, it produces power and peace in the present. Now, a couple things to clarify or tangents that may be important to address. And Den Hollander is a good example of the first one. Letting go of getting even. What Jesus referred to as turning the other cheek. It does not mean that you do not seek earthly justice. Sometimes Christians get this wrong. The, the Apostle Paul, in trusting the Lord, appealed to go to Caesar based on his rights under the law as a Roman citizen. When evil in the form of abuse or a crime has happened... When you have been victimized, you are free and perhaps should seek earthly justice. But you know earthly justice, it will not satisfy your longing for biblical justice. Rarely does a man-made legal system properly acknowledge the severity of the wickedness and the pain that someone has caused others. So rather than being preoccupied with what needs to happen for biblical justice to be experienced because you know the, the principle of wilting and withering, because you know your God will act, 
you can let go of being preoccupied, of giving the evil that you have encountered so much power. Okay, second tangent. Trusting God practically, trusting in the Lord practically, may mean seeking out the wisdom of earthly counselors. Those experienced with healing from a mental health perspective or what it means to heal from trauma or pursuing a pastor or another leader to process within the church. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Now, Now this proverb, the plans they refer to, they could be plans for battle or plans for constructing a building or plans for facing a challenging aspect of life. Plans to address the hurt and harm we experience related to evil actions often fail because we are far too tentative to let others in. Delighting yourself in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, it does not mean that you do not seek out wise counselors. As we commit to the Lord, as we commit to the ordinary, that does not mean we do not seek out earthly justice, and it does not mean that we do not seek out counsel from many advisors. But we also know that whatever earthly benefits come from such means, it does not satisfy what we are ultimately longing for. So Psalm 37 gives us a picture of what we are ultimately longing for in verses 9 through 11. Listen to how the psalmist paints a picture of what is promised to us as the people of God. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. So a couple weeks ago, after our second daughter, Brianna, returned to college following Thanksgiving break, she sent her mother and I, pretty sweet text, 16 more days until I'm home. Now, she really enjoys her, the classes she is experiencing. She is having fun forming friendships. She is liking what it means to step into having agency and independence. She is very content with the context God has placed her in. And yet, there is another home that she longs for. The language, inherit the land, which is repeated twice. And the words, will enjoy abundant prosperity. It is talking about a home promised that you and I long for. Today, as there were in the times of Psalm 37, there are wicked people walking to and fro. They are planning and plotting to do all sorts of acts of terror. They are plotting and planning to steal and to hoard. They are taking advantage of children. They are taking advantage of the vulnerable. They cheat and they are corrupt. Today, they continue to live on this earth. But in a little while, the wicked will be no more. When that happens, those who put their hope in the Lord, those who trust in him, they are promised they will enjoy abundant prosperity. During his time on earth, Jesus referenced these verses in his most 
famous address, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus and Psalm 37, they are not describing inheriting the earth in its current form. It is looking forward to a day Jesus will return. God's people will experience in the future when the humble, those who repent of sin, those who trust in Christ, those who delight themselves in the Lord, they will inherit a renewed earth. They will inherit the land and they will prosper and experience presence with the Lord in ways we find difficult to imagine. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, when he walked the earth, he took on evil. Evil befriended him and then betrayed him. Evil leaders accused him and scourged him. They beat him and bruised him, and evil mocked him and spit him in the face. But evil did not defeat him. Evil was defeated. And a place where God's people experience prosperity and presence, it was established in the church. Those who trust in Christ, they have received a piece of this renewed earth. Jesus identified Peter as the rock he would use to build his church, First City Church. Even though we don't have a building, we have been given a new plot of earth. We have been given the people of the church, the blessing of the church. We have been given much friendship. We have been given much fellowship. We have been given many goods and words of encouragement. It is certainly not complete or everything we ultimately desire or long for, but it is a taste of the joy and peace we are promised when Christ returns. We are looking forward to the arrival. We are looking forward to that arrival, a day when we will experience remarkable delight. So maybe, maybe there is a sense that the discontent we experience today is a good thing. Maybe that discontent points to something we will experience in remarkable ways in the future. I came across an article some of you may have seen circulating from the New York Times about Christians in Ukraine singing and worshiping during Advent, picking up on this theme. Oleksandra Lutsak, 20, said the war had deeply affected her music. Now when she sings, she said, she sees the faces of friends who died in the war. Sometimes she imagines the experience of a friend captured by Russian soldiers. When rehearsing folk songs, she envisions destroyed homes with no roofs, collapsed walls, everything burned down, and people standing around who have nowhere to spend the winter, those songs remind me of the pain, she said. But they also somehow help me deal with the pain. Christian, we are, we are in a period of waiting for evil to end. When we are in Christ, there should be a new earth we long for. There should be a discontent that we experience with life on earth today. Christians in Ukraine, they certainly understand that. 
as we reckon with the everyday evil we experience, we will too. We know our future includes a home of prosperity and peace, and that changes the way we experience evil today. The power of evil is no match for the power of promise. This evil we encounter on this earth, it makes us long for our true home. As we are honest about the wickedness that exists in the world, we want Jesus to come back. Come, Lord Jesus. Advent is looking back at a time Jesus defeated evil and looking forward to a time he will return to establish a new earth. Only as we reflect on and meditate on the horrors of the world we live in do we long for the promised land that is pictured by the psalmist and promised by Christ. And so as we wait, may we be a people who embrace the ordinary trusting in the Lord, delighting in the land, befriending faithfulness, refraining from anger. As we do, may we not be agitated by evildoers. May you not fret yourself. May you not be incited to blaze. Let's not give evil more power. Instead, may our trust in the Lord, may our trust in his promises, as we look back at his first coming and look forward to his second coming, May it produce peace and power in the present. Let's pray.